You are now listening to the Whipped Cream Podcast with Bianca Harris and Chantel Chapman. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. Don't forget to review and subscribe to our podcast to keep up to date. And you can follow us at WCR Podcast on Instagram. I'm going to be in Toronto on February 29th. We are having an event from 6.30 to 8.30 at Exhale Meditation at 553 Queen Street West. It's our first event of 2020. And I'm really excited. I decided to do this kind of last minute-ish because of some stuff that I've been kind of dealing with in my life and also noticing a lot of people around me um, dealing with. Um, so I think all of us can can relate on the fact that we deal with you know, fear and feelings of unworthiness in many areas of our life or in some areas or at some point in our lives. And for me, it's been a running narrative that's held me back in many different ways in my life and other areas you know, I'm able to like feel the fear and do it anyway, but in other areas, it totally disables my ability to operate from a productive or calm or creative place. I just, I'm totally stopped. I don't know. And because I have been meditating, doing a bunch of other work and reading and all the self-help stuff, um, I've started to like been able to separate myself from those thoughts and you know you really truly operate in your life most of us that like like those thoughts are real like all of the incessant chatter that's going on in the background is real life and i'm here to alert you to the fact that there's a big chance that it is not and what i've realized um i'm gonna just talk from my own experience but again i've real i've talked with a bunch of people that have had this kind of narrative going on in their lives as well but what i've noticed is that when you separate and start to have awareness that those things aren't real. They are just thoughts. When you start to have that light kind of shine in, it's just peeking through the door a little bit and that, that openness, that, that kind of seeing right there, it might be really tiny at first, like the seeing of, of what that is. Um, the awareness of what that is, it's like, then you can start to kind of, um, replace those thoughts with thoughts that are, um, maybe the complete opposite or um, thoughts that are just more useful and productive. Cause, cause, and, and like, I, I really do think that it's something that happens slowly. Anyway, I'm ranting now. Point is having this event, it's gonna be a discussion and meditation for those of you who wanna kind of begin to release those feelings. Do I think a two hour class is going to change your entire narrative that you've had over your over your whole life? Absolutely not. But it can begin to insert some of the thoughts and feelings that may, may be able to open that up for you. Because like I said, I've been dealing with these kind of thoughts forever, but it's just recently that it's opened up and I'm able to kind of see beyond it. And it takes time to now reform and rewire my brain, right? Um, And many different tools to do that. This event is designed to help you just even start thinking about that or doing that or opening that up. Um, So yeah, I really hope to see you guys there. We do have a few tickets left. You can check out relaxair.eventbrite.ca and I'll put all the info in our uh, description here. Okay, that's enough out of me. Let's start the show. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. Um, we have an amazing guest on today, Ailey Jolie. I'll let you intro her, Sean. Yeah, sure. I'm so excited to have Ailey. She's a friend of mine and I really respect her. Uh, Ailey's a registered clinical counselor in BC. 
she holds a master's of counseling psychology and is a student in the global mental health trauma and recovery certificate program at Harvard Medical School. She is additionally enrolled in a joint master of arts and doctorate in depth psychology with emphasis in somatic studies program at Pacifica Graduate Institute. She holds two honor, honors bachelor degrees in the field of women's studies, communication and psychology from the University of Ottawa. She's a member with the Academy of Eating Disorder and Eating Disorders Association. And she does some really interesting work around um, psychedelics and healing with Max Canada. Uh, she's also an author of the book, My Body, My Story. She is, um, she's very, very educated, as you can see, but she just, oh, wow. human, yeah, she's, <laughs> she's just a lovely human being who's had so many human experiences that make her so relatable in what she does as a healer and a therapist. So I'm so excited to have her on air today. Um, she she really focuses a lot on uh, healing sexual trauma. So we're going to get into that mostly today. Okay, cool. Let's get into it. Okay, so Ailey, welcome to the WIT podcast. We're so excited to have you. I'm so excited to be here and be with both of you today. Amazing. So I gave you a little bit of info on Ailey's bio. Um, she, uh, Ailey, what's your Instagram account? I uh, just Ailey Jolie, just my oh, name. Yeah, you guys got to follow her because she puts some amazing content out there. Um, she talks a lot about uh, healing from sexual trauma, uh, healing your relationship with the body, the nervous system, and all the good stuff. So, Ailey, like, what's present for you right now? Because I noticed on Instagram, um, there was a time on your Instagram where you were posting a lot of just like quote and text. And now you're doing a lot of beautiful photography of yourself. And it just, what's happening there? Yeah, for a really long time, I had a story. So my background is in the entertainment industry. And I had this really strong story that I wanted to show up differently um, and not really use my thin privilege or my beauty privilege, which are things for me that I'm, I'm quite open to acknowledging and discussing. But I didn't want to use those again or to gain followers or to gain attention or attraction and all of those things. And what I realized, even though that was really like noted, like honorable to not want to use my image and not, um, you know, participate in capitalism in that way of being image based, um, that it was actually more just me hiding and me wanting to deny um, just kind of my own like sexual energy or life force energy or my creative vitality. And so that's been a really huge shift in me that's really um, actually come from spending so much time with women and just hearing so many stories of body hatred or shame around sexuality and being like, actually, I'm really comfortable with those two things. And I've done a lot of work to get there. And I want to represent that in the world because that's so unique. Wow. I love that. And it's so interesting that this has come up right off the bat because I think about this all the time, especially when it's tied to Instagram, because you have this, well, I've had this notion that like, if I'm putting something out there in the world, that's like really smart or deep or like the work that I've done, whatever. then I'm like, I can't like look good in this photo. <laughs> and it's <this constant laughs> <battle of> like, <laughs> this constant battle of like, 
I guess you can't be beautiful and smart and deep and no. such a weird thing that goes on in my mind, but I still do it anyway. But it does, that conversation does kind of happen. So I find that really interesting totally. for sharing, for sharing that. It's really cool. Yeah. It's something that I know definitely I had in my mind for a really long time. And even though I thought I had worked through it and kind of had played in those places of like presently right now going to Harvard and still being an attractive female, like with living in that tension hearing so many women name that they genuinely do not feel they can be both beautiful or intelligent or um, attractive and funny. Like they have to choose a camp has made me be like, Oh my God, we need, like, I need to show all sides of myself so that there are more representations of women being comfortable in all areas and all domains. I love that. Yeah. That's really beautiful and profound. Wow. Um, You've also been writing a lot about like, like a lot of your words have this essence of sexual liberation. (laughs) You want to talk a little bit about that? Totally. (laughs) Um, It's along the same theme. So predominantly my practice had been really focused on helping women come back into their body in this sense of embodiment and looking at the sources of disconnection. So a lot of time working with eating disorders, um, exercise addiction, body image stuff. And I really honed my skills at trauma reprocessing. But what I acknowledged where I got stuck as a therapist, because I was stuck in my own life, was even though I could work through that implicit body-based memory and the body wasn't hosing or homing that trauma anymore, I wasn't actually laying anything different down. So in my own life, and I was noticing my clients, it was kind of going back out and finding a partner who was like, yeah, 10 shades better, but still wasn't fully embodied with the client or they didn't really know how to experience pleasure with their partner, which led me to do more of my own work of like trauma reprocessing is one piece of healing. And then there's this whole other piece that so many people don't get the opportunity to explore, which is actually coming back into your body for a sense of pleasure and connection and joy and reclaiming that place of sexuality that so many people have tried to steal. And that's a whole other area of work Um, that really has my interest that people aren't talking about. They're just talking about reprocessing, which is great. But if you just reprocess, you're not actually getting any new information on how to be in the world. Can you talk about what reprocessing is for our listeners? And then also the piece that you just mentioned, like example, how you actually do those things would be really cool. Yeah. So when working with the client, if they do have a sexual assault memory, it's like, okay, have we developed a strong enough cognitive narrative? So they kind of know A happened, then B happened, then C happened. Then can we go a little bit deeper into the emotion of that? So what is the affect, the facial cues, what happens? And then that place of the body. So did the body get that impulse to push that person away? Did they get that impulse to run And can we sequence that out so they get what we call in therapy land, the act of triumph, whereas where their central nervous system gets to recomplete that act of getting out of the situation that they didn't have in that moment. So that's like reprocessing the trauma. The next piece is like all of those sensations that they experience in the trauma are now tied to this reprocessing of a traumatic event, event. So those sensations are looped to the past. So Now we need to teach that those sensations can be looped to something else. So if the first trauma sensation was like a a holding of the wrist, that's the processing that we started to work with. Now can holding of the wrist be tied to 
a sense of pleasure or eroticism or something different that has nothing to do with that thing in the past. We're not looking for completion. We're looking for creation. And it's a whole other side of therapeutic work. I love that. It's so interesting. I was just talking about this the other day. Um, more with like my narratives about myself. I've been meditating a lot lately because I've just um, gone through a pretty big move. So I've been like really honing into my practice. Anyway, what's come up is like a lot of the stories that I've had about myself in my past and Chantal and I have spoken about this before, about like just fear and unworthiness. And it's funny that you say this because it's, it's exactly what I've been kind of doing with my meditation is like these crappy thoughts come up. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. And then I literally replace them with the thought. And what I've noticed starts to happen over time, you know, it doesn't, it's not, not overnight slowly is that mm -hmm. my brain starts to replace the crappy thought that comes up right away with that good one. Mm -hmm. Or if the crappy thought, the negative thought comes up, I immediately am like, nope, it's going to be fine. Like I kind of just keep counteracting it. I don't know where that will lead me, but it's just made me kind of remember um, how you can do that in many areas of your life. Yeah, so many. And it's interesting because we do have that awareness like of the cognitive reframe. But when it comes to somatics and actual like being there, we don't have a lot of that because that work of actually recreating or reframing after sexual violence or really any trauma is super messy work. As a therapist, it requires that you're like really going in there and being comfortable with potentially eliciting sensations in your client, but also holding space for that as well. And also as a therapist, getting out of the mindset of like, this has to be hard work. A lot of the work is like having fun with your client or experiencing joy and stuff like that, which, um, you know, in traditional therapy schools, you know, it's meant to, you're doing hard work and that's the persona that comes with it. Yeah. I think this is such an important point because, you know, we live in this world where we're like inundated with a lot of spiritual bypassing, which is just like, Ailey, you and I talk about this all the time. <laughs> it's just like, that is like, that only hits like the cognitive, like just change your mindset, change your mindset. And it's like, when it comes to sexual trauma, there is something that is happening in the body that is pre-verbal, like mm -hmm. It's before the mind is even able to, to um, kind of like make that mindset shift, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think just like even understanding that it's not just a, it's not just a like change the mindset and everything's going to be okay um, no. type of work. And it can be messy work. Mm -hmm. I actually just wrote an article on this, like the difference between what we call trauma reenactment and trauma play. So once you have that uh, body-based memory of sexual violence, you are more likely and proponed to come out and experience that. And Freud, you know, he classically turned that the repetition compulsion and neuroscience has validated that in mirror, mirror neurons and neuronal firing. So we have this compulsion to recreate, but it's like, we need to actually learn something different. So we need to elicit those sensations, but then do we have a partner that we can say, Hey, um, this sexual fantasy kind of taps into my sexual assault. Can you hold space to play with this for me? Can we actually take pieces of this where there's some juicy stimulus, the pieces that get me aroused, but then do something different. So I'm not less scared or disassociated is my partner willing to play in that place of sexual play with me? And that is really interesting work and a whole part of healing from sexual violence that unless you're in somatic sexology, no one is really talking about because it's so messy and it's yeah. uncomfortable to acknowledge 
hey, maybe I do have sexual fantasies that mirror how I've been sexually assaulted. And that doesn't make me messed up. That actually means there's a part of my psyche that's trying to heal. Oh, cool. interesting. That's really interesting. Um, also, I about that that way. Yeah, that's so interesting. There's also, you, you talked about like, you had a post recently about men supporting women who have been sexually assaulted. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, maybe you could talk a little bit about like, let's say there's like a feeling of, um, you know, like if you were sexually abused as a child and you, it obviously impacts your feelings of safety. Absolutely. So once you start like feeling unsafe in an intimate relationship, it all of a sudden triggers the sexual intimacy to almost be like connected to the sexual assault. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I always, or now have kind of been trained to, to roll it back and specifically for women, but also men, although like patriarchy and a lot of things have diminished this for there to be um, real like sexual openness and vulnerability, there needs to be emotional safety and holding. So that isn't there to then ask someone to be in a sexual relationship or to call them into that is going to require some level of disassociation or splitting. And if you have sexual trauma specifically from childhood, instantly it's going to get triggered up because you're kind of disassociating from that fight you had with your partner. And now you're having disassociated sexual intercourse. And that reminds you of when you were 13 and you didn't want that thing to happen. And you're going to go there very, very quickly. So specifically for people who have gone through that, there's so much psychoeducation around their partner and communication that needs to happen of like, if we're in a fight or things are turbulent, that's not the time for us. Or maybe that's the time when we play with you really noticing if I'm present in sex Mm, interesting, and holding that space. So there's ways to work with it, but it just requires such a high level of communication that people aren't having around sex. Just usually at all, this is like another step forward. But I mean, I think it's like the both partners need to be open in the relationship to even like explore that type of discussion. And I think... I mean, in my experience, it's the, the man gets like hurt, like, uh, yeah, you know, takes it personally. Like, it's just like, you know, you're not showing like the, um, their love language is touch and you're not Mm. showing it. So why would they go out of their way to make you feel emotionally safe? Mm. You know? And then it's like this cycle. Totally. When I hear that cycle and I've, I feel really, really blessed that a lot of the partners that my female clients are with, so these men are so willing to come in and do couples work. Like they are just like, I want to learn about her experience of sexual violence. I, it's been phenomenal, my experience of like male receptivity as a clinician. And so when that kind of, that part that comes out though, it's like my love language is touch. Um, like, like she's not showing up for me. I need touch. I'm not getting it. Why would I show up for there? I kind of always reframe it as like, okay, both of you aren't getting your needs met right now, but it's not really about your needs. It's about the needs of the relationship. So can we both step out of ourselves and step into the third party that we're both consciously choosing to create? What is the need of that? There is a need for sexual intimacy. There is a need for our love languages to all be met. 
But how can we do that in a way where neither of us has to sacrifice anything? Because that is possible. But I am going to have to step out of my number one preference to be in the thing that I prefer even more, which is my love for this person or the love we're creating together. Oh, I love that. And when you start framing it like that as a third entity, um, specifically men or masculine identifying are like, oh yeah, I want to build something. Like it, it kind of invokes that archetype of the builder and they're like, oh yeah, I, I can put behind my first, second and third preference for like to build this thing. Um, and that's really cool, but it's just a language game um, of getting a different perspective on what you're actually trying to create in relationship. Love that. Yeah, I love that view. My teacher, Tommy Rosen, talks about his relationship with his wife, Kia. And it's like, it's not about Kia and I, it's about the entity of our marriage. Yeah. You know, and yeah, I just think that's so brilliant to look at it like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it seems to be a really beautiful way of, especially around sexual violence, of exploring that in a couple dynamic, because a lot of men will come in like, well, she just doesn't want sex. So like, it's not as important for her. And it's just like, no, 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 it is. Society and her life experiences haven't allowed sexuality to be as prevalent as they have for you. The partner, the female partner you're with is a sexual being. She just hasn't been allowed to express that could this third entity of your relationship be the only place she has full freedom to express that right now? And then if you frame it like that, men are super, super excited to like get on board to help their partner heal. Cause they're like, Oh my God, maybe like I get to be the only place where her full sexuality comes out. Like how lucky am I? Um, and that's a really, you're cool such a good spin, Neely. <laughs> <laughs> you should work in the media. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> so good yeah. um that because it's just another showcase i talk about this all the time so Chantal, you're gonna be like i've heard this before but it's just like literally any situation is just about what language you're using to create the actual situation so it's not that the fi- situation can never be fixable or workable or whatever um come to some kind of conclusion it's like the language that you're using to create the actual scenario in your life is really important and I love that you can mm-hmm. kind of reframe how you're looking at things to help that happen it's really mm-hmm. cool. yeah I wanted to I think you brought this up at the beginning Sean but I don't know where we can go with this but I would love to talk a little bit about just like healing your nervous system because I'm like always love to nerd out about this <laughs> so there's so much- <laughs> I love it. Um, so you do some work around this as well right Yes. Yeah. Can you talk about what that looks like? Um, so my training is predominantly in somatic experiencing and sensory motor and Hakomi. So I have a really strong somatic background. So everything that I'm doing with a client is really coming from the central nervous system place. So knowing my body well enough that when someone walks in the room and all of a sudden my calendar is like going off and I'm like, oh my God, I need to do this, this, and this, that I I'm like, okay, I'm sitting across from someone who has a central nervous system that regulates off schedule. Okay, that's, that's me, that's, that's them and me experiencing a part of them and knowing those places. And then it's like, okay, can we soften that? Can we find some more fluidity? Do I have enough of a relationship to name what I'm noticing in my own soma as a mirror to their system? And so I use a lot of co-regulation and a lot of like, okay, 
if I'm if I step into a more balanced place, how does the client follow? But also a lot of the work that I am do now, which is is even more edgy, is actually using touch in my practice. So we know that like touch can communicate so much more than words, so much quicker to the nervous system and the physiology of the body. So when someone is going through trauma and they needed that support, how is it to actually receive a hand? How is it to actually have the therapist come across the room and sit beside someone as they're processing and get that thing that they never got when they were six years old? Um, so the nervous system is really the map that I'm using when I'm working with a client, if that helps answer. Yeah, I love it. So cool. I think that's just like such good advice too. If you're like just being trying to be empathetic with like people around you and your friends who are potentially in crisis is like, you know, use your own nervous system to help regulate theirs. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's going to give you the most information about the situation and yourself in the situation and potentially what you're bringing from your past or also what's just present in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of maps, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, the work that you do with psychedelics? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely, I've explored um, most of the research in that realm. And most of where my place lies right now is doing integration work with people. So when people have gone off and done psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy, um, wherever they choose to do that, doing that integration work of actually taking those altered states of consciousness that can really um, allow new trauma memories and new central nervous system states to allow memory to come back and then grounding that down. Mm -hmm. Um, As much as I support psychedelics and I think altered states of consciousness work is amazing from meditation to whatever substance you're doing, it can become like a catharsis. And I've seen this in myself and in other people where when trauma is released from the body, there's adrenaline and norepinephrine and endogenous opioids, which last for 72 hours. They're research-wise more addictive than any other substance to the body, and they create a disassociative state. So if we're continuously doing cathartic-based healing, like ayahuasca ceremonies or peyote or whatever, we're not actually landing anything in the body. We're not actually really changing anything we're bringing everything up which is great but that activation of trauma and that continual memory flooding that happens after a psychedelic substance doesn't actually allow the central nervous system to change because of how much adrenaline is going through the body Mm -hmm. so that's why integration work is so unbelievably important yeah and also why you see people get kind of lost in the psychedelic world which i totally understand i've been there (laughs) yeah 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 and you know when people are doing like journeys um in certain places the integration is not really a big part of it which yeah it's like that's why that like psych what did you call it psycho assisted psycho assisted psychotherapy yeah psychedelic assisted psychotherapy yeah yeah so what does Um, that look like you do whatever the psychic psychedelic is and then what happens so in those cases, there are places like in Mexico and Costa Rica where you can go down and do a substance and you're actually with two therapists for the entire experience or 
a therapist and they're kind of guiding you there. And then they also facilitate your integration the next day. And they're probably your therapist that you see for the next month to actually really make meaning of that experience of mushrooms or whatever else you're doing. Um, right now with the illegalness of psychedelics, that's not something people are doing in Canada, but it is somewhere you can go and have those experiences. So you're actually getting to metabolize what came up for you. Would you also would you also say that this can happen with meditation if you meditate a lot? Yeah, I spent almost two months in meditation last year, like in silent retreat, and I got more out of that than any psychedelic substance I've ever done. Like the, yeah. So when you did two months of meditation, was that mm-hmm. also like accompanied by integrative healing? Uh, so it was it was broken up. Um, and I did have like continuous integration support. I was at spirit rock for a majority of it where they do have check-ins. So you do kind of get to check in with someone. Um, but there were times where my consciousness felt like it had gone into ayahuasca and I was like on an ayahuasca journey for four days, but I was totally sober. (laughs) I was like, I don't know what to do. Um, so yeah, I support psychedelics and I also don't know if they always need to be used. And sometimes I think they can be re-traumatizing because um, you're really opening yourself up to a lot of things. And once you're open, you you don't get to close. Yeah, yeah, there's there's so many stories about the re-traumatization from psychedelics. I think it's just so important that you have like, you have the integration support. When I did ayahuasca the first time, I did it with a trauma uh, counselor. And um, I happened to go to India for like almost a month, a week later. So I was like doing kundalini and like pranayama in India for a month right after ayahuasca. And it it was the same experience that you described, Ailey, in your meditation retreat. Like I felt like I was on ayahuasca multiple times really (laughs) and um it was actually the best thing because India was was basically my integration Mm. yeah so that for me that was really really good and I came back and I was like I I felt really good for a while after it and I could imagine like if I just went and did the ayahuasca retreat and just came back to my life like I'd just be like the fuck where am I right now and what am I to do now well it's such a good point to bring up it's like all these things come up but then you're like okay well that's great I'm happy that it's came, come to the surface but like what do I do with it yeah yeah you know and some people yeah. are just kind of left in that state and then there's so many implications to that that I think that can impact your life so that's such a great point. Yeah. And you know, the interesting thing with ayahuasca is I would say when I did ayahuasca, it was the first time I felt like true bliss. Like I hadn't really experienced in my life, like, like joy and bliss. Like I had you know, excite, exciting times. Um, but those exciting times were kind of like more of a, they were more in relation with my, um, childhood trauma like an addiction to excitement and it'd be a high mm. and then low right mm. so it was like ayahuasca was an experience of bliss and when I felt that I was like oh my god this is incredible like there's bliss in this life it doesn't have to be so painful and then and then after I left I, the ceremony I, I kind of was getting a little bit like I was questioning this well this is just because of the drugs 
Like, what am I going to be an ayahuasca addict now to get these hits of bliss? And then I went and did the meditation in India and I felt it again. And then I'm like, oh my God, like this exists within me. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty powerful. It's so powerful. Um, I think psychedelics can really give you a somatic based resonance of states that you, you don't know, like bliss or joy. I can't say that my psychedelic experiences and I've done a lot of psychedelics in therapeutic settings. I've never really gotten bliss or joy, but I did get that on silent retreat where I had an experience of feeling like I was on ayahuasca for four days. And then literally the last three days of the retreat, I couldn't go to any of the sits because I was just having spontaneous orgasms. And it was like (laughs) the wildest thing. And also just like totally erupted this whole place inside of myself that was like sexual energy is totally just like this natural, normal thing. And we have totally packaged it and commodified it and tried to stuff it down because it's so powerful. And it's actually just like natural and constantly moving if you consciously are still enough to notice it in your body and are open enough to experience it. Well, I'm going wow. to India in a month, so he <laughs> <laughs> wants spontaneous orgasms. Orgasms, <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow, that's so. I feel like they should use that as their like sales pitch, like yeah, retreats. <laughs> yeah, we'll get people signing up by the hundreds. Yes. Yeah, I think oh. what you're. What you're saying about like the commodification of of sexuality is so interesting too. And I always also, I always kind of think about this from the lens of the work that I do around money um, and self-worth and, uh, and just like how like, you know, childhood trauma, especially if it has to do with sexual trauma, how that impacts people's relationship with money and that and then the, and then the commodification of sexuality adds a whole nother layer into it mm-hmm. do you see that like with your clients as well the um you know like lack of self-worth because of the sexual abuse and then it's showing up in areas of their life that you wouldn't think it would like how charging my clients a rate that's fair or you know giving deals or like giving too much of myself. Yes, absolutely. Um, I noticed that in the clients that I work with, that place of self-worth, but also in myself too. It's been a practice of like, even though my heart wants to give all of this, I also know that there's a little piece inside of me that feels that I'm only here on this earth to be of service to other people. Mm. And if I start giving from that place, that's actually really, really icky for both the client that's receiving and myself. And I'm actually contaminating this relationship when I do that. So I have to keep that really, really in check, specifically with the clients that I feel a lot of resonance with. So being someone who's gone through childhood, like sexual abuse in my childhood, which we super, super mindful because that pattern is in both of us so strongly that it's like, Ooh, those are the ones where it's just like, when am I in check? Like, am I actually wanting to be of support or do I feel like I have to be of service? Cause that's the only thing that I'm here to do for another human. Yeah. And wow. Yeah. So there's a whole, I think anyone who's in like the healing or helping profession has to really look into those places of like their beliefs and how much they've internalized um, both capitalism 
and but um, commodification too. Yeah. Can you say yeah. more about that? Yeah. So that internalization of like, I'm instantly just creating myself into a product. Capitalism has taught us that our, not only our body is a, a business, but our personality is a business. Our psyche is a business. Like we are here as a business to produce. So how much have maybe that's not my calling or like maybe that's just not my client or maybe that special skill that I have is just a special skill that I enjoy and it doesn't actually need to be anything. Um, and having that discernment, like for me, movement has been such a huge piece of my life and I could very easily go and teach classes and still dance, but that's just for me. I actually don't need to commodify my body in that way. And it, that's one place where I know I've done a lot of work, but I know there's other ways where I, I, I haven't unpacked my internalized commodification yet or capitalism just yet. Amazing. Wow. Yeah. Up. Yeah. That's so important. Ailey. I also, um, I love when you said my, um, my, I can't remember exactly how you said this, but you said like, I want to be in service in this mm -hmm. life. And that's a very dangerous, dangerous place to be if you do have uh, sexual abuse trauma um, or any childhood trauma. Because, you know, like a, a lot of times uh, this type of trauma can manifest into codependency and codependency can show up as I'm of service to everyone at the expense of myself. Mm -hmm. okay, thank yeah. you for saying that because I didn't really know what you meant because to me being of service would be like a good thing. So I didn't know what you were connecting it to, but that makes sense now. Just look at me as the poster child of this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like being of service is great. Like in the 12 step program, step 12, like, take what you have and now go be of service to people. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It can be incredibly healing. But if you if you identify as someone who is codependent and you're constantly like being of service at the expense to yourself, or you're serving from a place of lack, like Ailey said, that's not healthy for you or the client. Because mm -hmm. it's like, it's almost like it's a bit of a trauma bonding. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's like to go with young, like everything has that shadow side. So even though to be of service sounds like the super altruistic, beautiful momentum, it's like, what is the other underbelly of that? Yeah. Is there any belief inside me that, that says that I'm just here to have a human experience or I'm here to, ha to have to experience pleasure in the fruits of this life? Yeah. Is it okay that that maybe that's what I'm here for. And that actually, if I step into my pleasure and actually tap into being here to have a good experience, regardless of what else is going on with other people, that I trust in humanity enough that my goodness in myself will ripple out to other people. And I personally am more interested in that belief than I am in a belief of I, I need or want to be of service. It's like, I want to create a beautiful enough life for myself because I trust that will ripple outwards. Yeah. What I live and embody will touch other people. I don't actually need to do anything for other people. They're going to do it themselves when they choose. Yes. And that's that like really unhooking of that uh, codependent claw that's in us all. Yeah. Thank you so or much. capitalist belief. Yeah. yeah. I think about this a lot, but 
I didn't really say it out loud. So I didn't, it was just kind of like sticking, like kind of hanging out in my head. Cause I've done that before where I've created this amazing thing and you're being of service to all these people. But I felt completely depleted to the point that I didn't want to do it anymore. I was yeah. like, shut it down, you know, <laughs> a long time to come back around. Um, but it didn't have any boundaries. I didn't have any, I didn't have anything to protect me as well. Cause it's like, when you're taking in all of that energy, you have to be really mindful of like what's going on over here. So thank you for bringing that up. I think it'll be really helpful for a lot of people because it was for me. Yeah, so well said, Ailey. Thank you so much. So many amazing gems in this episode. It's so nice to hear from you. Thank you for having me. So tell us where we can find you and what's happening. Yeah, so super simple. Um, You can find me at my website, which is my first and last name, Ailey Jolie, on Instagram at the same place, just my name. Um, and right now I'm pretty much exclusively in Vancouver, which feels a little strange to say after traveling so much. Um, but I'm in private practice, which I love. Um, my practice really focus on, focuses on working with women, getting them back into their bodies. So um, exploring the reasons of disconnection, but then like, as I mentioned, also exploring uh, what it would be like to have a new experience in the body. Um, yeah, and I also work online, so you can see me there. Broken hearted from the ones who hurt.